Hey guys, it's Eva. Welcome to another episode of the Invisible Not Broken podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Dr. Bandari. She is an integrative functional family physician, and she specializes on the cellular level of health and the impact of the microbiome, nutrient deficiencies, and toxin overload. Her illness is chronic eczema. She's also the owner and senior physician of an integrative medical center, SF Advanced Health in San Francisco, California. She has patients with either a chronic disease or no diagnosis with debilitating symptoms who have already been evaluated by many different medical physicians and other healthcare specialists, but are unfortunately not getting better, which most of us have experienced at one point or another or are right now. So without further ado, uh, let's get started. I am an integrative functional medicine physician. Um, I specialize in really understanding the root cause on a cellular level, and I interconnect the microbiome, nutrient deficiencies, and toxin overload. That's a lot that I just said in one sentence, um, and that that starts from me, you know, starting as just a family doctor. Um, so, you know, my dream to be a family doctor started when I was 14. And I imagined that, oh, that's just what all doctors are. Um, they take care of the whole person, they take care of the whole family, and they should be able to figure things out. And then over the last 30 to 40 years, we have all of these like subspecialties and you've got to have the right tag word. And I thought, okay, so my vision of a family doctor is holistic. That means you just take care of this person, you take care of every essence of them, and you really have to understand what's going on. And so you go through your training and you take regard of what your mentors, your teachers, what others have done over decades. And you respect that and you embrace it. And over time, what happened was is that I started to wonder, wait a minute, why is it in that in my short life, I have seen people come in with a simple symptom and all of a sudden now it becomes a big problem and then it becomes a chronic problem. And we're starting to think as physicians, oh, well, that's just the way it is and we're supposed to accept this. And now the tools we have, they're basically pull out your script pad and write prescriptions or order really expensive tests and we don't even know how much things cost and how this is going to impact this person. And so it started me first questioning it, but then I said, well, who am I to question when all my colleagues are doing the exact same thing? And this is where, you know, we're being taught this in every conference, everywhere we go and everywhere we turn, this is what we're hearing. And what I've seen in both my own life, but also in the people who do start to make a shift is when it hits home. And it's when we become a patient ourselves and we start to empathize with like, wait a minute, I don't know if I'm cool with this. And that's kind of where my journey started was when I was really little from as long as I can remember, I've always had eczema. And you know, it goes from like places where you really don't want anyone to see it. So you cover yourself up to, you know, to going to the medical community and basically trying every conventional treatment that's out there. And in the back of my head, I kept thinking, you know, my grandfather had debilitating eczema where he had like huge rashes that he would just itch and itch and itch and bleed. And he had it his whole life. And he just, well, that's just the way it is. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to look like him. And he kind of looked like he had the elephant legs, but they were in the legs, the arms. And that was my vision. I thought, okay, I'm gonna have to get to the bottom of this because this is really plaguing my life. But at the same time, the only solution I had was putting on a bunch of different creams and they weren't working. And what, what transcended was that as much as I accepted it, I said, well, maybe one, I, I don't like it, but I'm gonna accept it, was when my youngest daughter, when she turned two, she started de developing really debilitating idiopathic hives, which is another form of an inflammatory skin condition. So eczema, psoriasis, it all is really coming from the same place. Now, when she's two years old and she is literally 
at five seconds from eating something or doing something, she has huge hives all over her face, all over her body. And you're kind of like, well, I could give her some Benadryl or an antihistamine, but you know, I'm not cool with this idea of just drugging her up and then telling her she has to live with it. And that really led me on the journey of like, if no one that I'm going to for expertise, which all the different doctors, which includes family doctor, dermatologist, whoever it is, they're just, they're not giving me answers. You know, what am I going to do? And her condition really continued and it kept getting worse and worse. And that led to around the same time, my oldest daughter was about to turn six and she had to have an emergency oophorectomy, which means she had to remove an ovary because she had basically a massive growth that they told us, if we don't remove this, eventually she's gonna get ovarian cancer. And I thought, wait a minute, none of these things exist in my family and these things are not just happening, but we're being told it's just happening and you just, that's okay. And I thought I can't live my life one saying, well, I've lived my life accepting eczema, but my two-year-old is going to accept hives for the rest of her life. And when you actually look at all the research, it says that all of this is then eventually connects to an inflammatory cancer. And so when both of my children were hit hard and we had no answers and we couldn't spend our lives telling them, well, you know what, you're going to eventually go on this path. That has led me to what I do now. And that is literally what shaped my career where I kept digging and digging. And what I realized was the answers are there. If you just don't find them in the sources of views, maybe you just have to look a little differently and they're there. And that's kind of led me to this tagline of that I specialize in understanding the root cause on a cellular level. It's that when you understand as a human being, we're made up of trillions of cells. And how does those cells work? How are they designed? How are they energized and how are they damaged? Then you start to really understand that we each have those tools. Nothing happens to us. It's that we are just as involved in what's manifesting. So when you see it on the skin, when you feel it in your belly, it's gotta all be connected because it's this one human being who's not just this person, but it's very connected to our environment. And it is about embracing it and not being scared of it. And I think that's what's led me to actually really understand and also find tools that empower people because they're all the things you and I are doing versus using treatment options that people say, well, the only reason I'm going to use it is I trust the person that is recommending it, but I'm scared. You know, the label on the medicine says all these like 20 different side effects. Now, the, the overriding theme is that it's based on trust and having faith. So what I do now is directly connected to my journey, but my journey is connected through my children, through my, you know, my family heritage. That's the world that I live in, that's the world that I practice, and that's the work that I do. Oh, that's so wonderful. Um, you know, you said like, it's not usually until um, it hits home for you that like physicians will kind of look somewhere else and not only did it hit home for you personally but it like literally hit home um with your children and i can't think of a more of a driver than that <laughs> yeah uh, and so yeah you talking about we are we are a whole body and everything that happens within our body it's still us as a whole person um i would love to hear what you think about uh, when people say these days that our gut is our second brain, does that resonate with you? And, it, and if it does, or in what way? Our gut is our brain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you really think about it, the whole word gut instincts, right? You can That's take that point. literally. <laughs> I mean, if you really, it's like you get a signal, right? And we feel something in our belly, something butterflies or however people label it. When you feel something, that sends a signal to your brain. Your brain is like a messenger box, right? So it interprets that signal and then it goes in different sections and says, well, how am I supposed to react? And that's then ties us into like, oh, well, I'm gonna move my arm this way or I'm gonna move away from this or this is unsafe or I'm gonna be told, oh, you gotta throw up. Whatever happens, it comes from our gut instinct, right? Our gut is, 
our stomach, esophagus, small intestines, large intestines. It's also right beside our heart. So our heart, our gut, that's a real intelligence, right? That is what helps to regulate. Are you going to be happy? Are you going to freak out? Right? It tells your heart when it gets a signal from the brain, oh, you need to beat really fast. You need to slow it down. You need to, you need to kind of set signals to say there's excitement, there's panic. So our brain is our gut instincts. Right. Nail right on the head. <laughs> I mean, I, I've definitely seen it that way. Um, and I like that that's finally coming to the forefront of science. Um, and in general, like gastrointestinal health as being of prime importance. Because before, I mean, I think people really just dismissed it as like, oh, you, you know, may, like maybe you have an allergy or uh, it's, um, you know, you just ate something that's not great for you. Like if you eat fried food, oh, you just don't feel well. But there's, there are so many more uh, messages, very specific messages that come from what you put in your body, but then the other way, right? Like, like what you're thinking and then how you're feeling. I've told so many people to look at the, um, the connection between the mind-body of just thinking of like the most, like the, the simplest example, which is if you're nervous, you, your stomach tends to hurt or even like yeah. the butterflies, like uh, if you're feeling butterflies when you meet someone, like how can you deny that what happens up here in your brain affects your stomach and vice versa when we know every day how that can happen? Or like when um, a, a, a something that you eat makes you tired. These are just like everyday examples of what people, and people ignore that when it comes to the, um, the more serious conditions or like uh, more, uh, or, or even like serious uh, acute uh, scenarios. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, always been mind boggling to me that it wasn't obvious, but then again, if you don't know to look, you don't know to think that way, then I guess, why would you, you just go based on what you've heard, right? Like around, right. and especially right. as a doctor, you know, like you said, it's who, am, who am I to correct all of these doctors and people in conferences and the books? It's, uh, yeah, right. yeah. good yeah. for you, good for you for thinking outside of the box and, and not just going with the flow of what everyone else says. And now luckily more people are coming out of the woodwork and being like, hey, functional medicine is the way. It really, you gotta look at everyone as a whole. And on, right. that, and on that note, I'd really love to know a bit more about your practice. Like, can you, can you explain in a bit more detail your unique, um, your unique approach to care and maybe even some examples of some patients? Like scenarios, not the actual patients. <laughs> so I would say in some ways the practice design of how I practice of the actual physical space is a place where you land. When you step foot into our integrative center, you feel like you're home because you feel the energy and the energy feels safe, it is full of love, and that establishes trust. That is deliberately done because it is about truly for each person who is at our center to thrive as a human being. And when they are able to do that, they are able to give their very best to every person who walks into the center. That means that each person who walks in feels a transformation that when they leave, they leave feeling so much better. That means that they're gonna go out in the world and have a greater impact on other people. So every aspect is really well thought through. So it feels seamless. And that is not just how the actual design is, it's also the way that we practice. For instance, the space is designed to be very simplistic, but beautiful. That is also the way then we interact with each of us because we're, there's a relationship. So, it's, so I've moved away from a hierarchy system that patient-physician. Patient-physician, yes, you have a professional trusted relationship, but we're both on this journey together. 
So what is unique in the way that I practice is that I give people as much time as they need to tell their story. And the interesting thing is, is that there's this misconception that, oh, if you give people a lot of time, they're just going to talk forever. Well, the reality is, it's like when you feel heard, you know it. So say what you need to say. And, and in the telling of the story, it's not just what the person says, it's how they say it. It's their body language. In that, I learn a ton about what's going on and what do they not say? That's a very important piece of me figuring out the story. Yes, <laughs> it really is. Although yeah. it's from an odd perspective, if you've ever seen or heard about the show House, I think that's, um, there's like a tagline basically like, patients never, I don't know, it's like don't tell the truth or don't say everything. Like they always neglect to say certain things. And a lot of that is because they don't trust and don't feel safe, right? Yes, uh, yes. Uh, and, you know, if you remember most, if you ever remember that when you hear a story, you only remember two to 3% of what's actually said. What you really remember is the feeling. It's really what's not said is actually the real message that's being communicated. And so by giving time, what I find is that people get their message across pretty quickly. It's not like they're gonna spend an hour talking, right? And what I then do is I do a pretty comprehensive physical exam. So now I'm touching the person, I'm really connecting to their body and I'm feeling their energy. And then we sit down and I go, now it's my turn to speak. And that's where I actually go through and answer every question they have, but in a way that brings it all together. So that whatever their plethora of symptoms, their chronic disease, their concerns, I go right to where it, where it stems from. And in giving them a diagnosis, and diagnosis does not mean, well, you're gonna label you with 20 different things. That's not really what they want. They just want answers. But in giving answers, it's also giving the right tools. So when they walk out, they've got tools, they can go home right away, and they directly tied to how does the cell work. And they get to understand it because we've all been taught this in school, right? It's not some fancy, you know, oh, well, I went to like, you know, 13 years of training to learn this. Yes, I did. But there is things that you and I both know based on our intuition. And it is about putting the cards on the table and letting people actually trust their intuition. And being a respected physician with experience they say, oh, you're validating something I had in the back of my mind, but I never wanted to say that, right? So I cut to the chase, we get to the answers, we give them a treatment plan, they have time to learn about it because I have plenty of time to educate. And the result is, is that whatever that debilitating condition is, so if it's cancers to you know, chronic fatigue, Hashimoto's, you name it, they walk out with tools and they start feeling better like within days to weeks because the biggest gift that I gave was how I connected with that person and how we got the answers that they could trust and they have, they know they're going to feel better, right? So that's what's unique about the way that I take care of people is I take out the barriers that get in everybody's way and don't let us think with full clarity take out the barriers of like well i thought i was supposed to do all these things and whatever it is it's i cut to the chase so wow uh <laughs> i'm sad that i don't live in san francisco because i really want to see you uh, <laughs> doesn't mean i can't come over uh if anyone does live in the san francisco area or remotely near <laughs> You definitely need to go see her. I mean, frankly, for me, I, I, you know, I have Wellacopia, which I'm very pleased that you're on. Um, Wellacopia speaks to that, that everyone um, needs the best relationship. And that does look different for people. Um, I know for me, what you just explained, you're like my ideal, <laughs> personally. Um, but what I think really every practitioner needs to do that everybody wants, for sure, 
is someone who le who leaves them feeling empowered, like you said, like truly. And <laughs> and part of that is giving, as you said, answers and tools, but it doesn't necessarily have to be around diagnosis. So, like, I'll tell you that, and I know I'm not alone here. Um, it took me over 10 years to be diagnosed with fibromyalgia and hypermobility. And there was a period of time where every time I would um, be told that I don't have an illness, I would be sad, like, like disappointed, you know, oh, you don't have RA. Like I should be happy that I don't have rheumatoid arthritis, but it still wasn't an answer. And that's all they would say is you, you're fine. You don't have this. Um, it was all about having a diagnosis, having an answer, but I like that you come with an answer that isn't just like, this is your condition. Basically, here's some drugs and have fun. <laughs> right. Um, you take out the need for us to go to WebMD. <laughs> well, they've already come in. They've already done all their research oh, yeah. before they walk in. So, But after not feeling like they have to dig deep, like they, they trust you, they have information. And, and um, I know that you said, uh, and you wrote to me that you make sure that you convey it in the most concise and comprehensible way so that you know that they've registered that information and they feel, they feel good leaving. Uh, it's a, it's a partnership. Yes. Actually. Yeah. Partnership. Yeah. That's, that's empowering, right? It's like you, it's not just the doctor. It's like this hierarchy, right? It's a, I am the doctor and therefore what I say goes. Sorry, I just like put on that weird voice. Yeah, <laughs> <I can't> no. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, no, we, because patients feel like, you know this, they're like not heard in various ways. And one of them is like, hey, buddy, I know my body. Yes. I, am, I might not know my exact diagnosis. Maybe that is a mystery, but I know my body. Yes. And I, I always felt like we are, e we are equal experts the patient and yes. the practitioner, just yes. different kinds, right? <laughs> yes. No, that is uh, very important. It is about knowing that I couldn't do what I do without the people who come to see me. I am very grateful to have the opportunity to meet that person. Each one of them touches my life and I have a ton that I learned from them. So if I go in saying, I know everything and I have the answers, clearly people who do that they don't, they don't, you have to question it because you don't really want to be the smartest person in the room. Um, you limit yourself to growth and you limit yourself to actually really know what's going on because the story is right there. All that we do is we just communicate it again to the person using their words in a way that they're like, Yes. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. So that's the art is you got to be able to say out loud confidently what they're thinking. And that's where you get right to where you need to go. I'm, I've actually been having that conversation with my husband recently. So he's a pediatric gastroenterology fellow right now. And I really hope he doesn't mind me talking about this. Um, he's wonderful. Uh, but he deals with a lot of adolescents and who come in with extreme stomach pain, right? And tr the true majority of the time, he feels very frustrated because he's like, I can't find anything clinically wrong with them. And it's because it really might be an emotional thing that they're going through that's manifesting physically. But he feels conflicted because he's like, well, and he's in a hospital, right? He's not in like an outpatient setting. And he's like, well, there's nothing I can do. So basically I tell them to go home and that it's not physical. And I'm like, oh dude, you got to watch yeah. me do that. And first of all, you like, make sure that it's you, you at least have done as much as you can do in terms of the, the clinical work. But what I've been telling him and, um, so first of all, I find this odd because odd with him and I, because he is the most compassionate man I've ever met. One of the reasons why I fell in love with him. And with me having a chronic illness, uh, he's very understanding that he doesn't understand, which is fabulous. Um, but he tries to make, like, identify how I'm feeling. He says, I get that you feel this way. 
And so I'm going to do whatever I can to help you with that. But when he's in the hospital setting, again, because like, who is he surrounded by? These doctors doing that thing. It's like, give them a prescription, uh, make sure they take this test or they have to go home or they have to go here. It's very like, um, what's it called? There's a lot of triage um, and just like these are standards of care. But he's, he's noticing that there's such a disconnect between him and these teenage girls. Like really it is girls, I think, true majority of the time. At least that's what he's told me. Um, and we're having, we're talking more about it. And he's actually um, talking to a physician who specializes in this, like this communication, which is great. But I sat him down and I said, look, um, I was one of those girls. I, I had a panic attack because of something with a relationship once, and it sounds benign, but I had a, a terrible physical reaction to something that happened to me emotionally. And that shouldn't be disregarded. I know we're talking about digging deeper too, right? But um, because they're, they're, I could have, you know, I could have had endometriosis, like that goes overlooked a lot because women complain of stomach pain. Um, first of all, you can correct me if I'm saying anything wrong anytime. <laughs> uh, but, um, I'm just talking from experience. Uh, but I said at the very, very least, what I think you need to do with these girls is recognize that, or make sure it's clear to them that you recognize their pain and make sure that they know that, you know, it's legitimate. It's completely legitimate, regardless of what it is, regardless of whether or not it's like, um, a serious diagnosis or, um, or like the other spectrum of it isn't, there is some sort of emotional upheaval that is causing them serious discomfort. Um, but number one is like recognize and, and mirror what they're saying, use the language like you, like you said. Um, and that was, that apparently like got through to him and he really wants to explore more and learn because He's going to be having these kinds of patients forever and he hates that he feels disconnected and like he's not really helping and um so i mean yeah the biggest thing though which is uh which is really sad is that in the training for gi and then also for pretty much most physicians there's zero education on nutrition oh don't you, you specialize <laughs> yeah i mean if you say that this is all just in your head I will say that's, that's a bunch of crap. Yeah. Crap as in your poop. <laughs> and the reality is, is that when no one actually asks, like go through your day, what do you eat? What do you drink? Listen to what people have to say. So when you're not connected at all with nutrition in terms of like as a GI or any other doctor, you really need to know agriculture in the United States. You need to know where things come from because this disconnect has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and it's a disconnect between oh well it doesn't have anything to do with what i do what's that have to do with how the body works and it's it's like if a physician communicates that what are you instilling in other people to say oh well whatever you do your actions have nothing to do with the reaction so as and you think about that just ask that if these kids, because again, the challenge is, is that when you do not get it right at that young age, that person is screwed for the rest of their life. Because they said, you know, I was communicating my gut instincts and no one chose to listen. And what often happens is that they get some psychiatric diagnoses and they get put on a huge slew of meds. Or if you're a female, they get put on birth control pills. And then t 10 years later, they now have more psych issues because just take the time to understand if you prescribe things and you don't really get it and you don't know what's happening inside the body, this is a problem. We're just, we're actually the ones who are driving a lot of the problems. We're not solving them. And simple things like just walk into your grocery store and see what's being sold. So if 99% of the things being sold are basically really toxic, like most of the food in most of the aisles is GMO crops that are sprayed really heavily with tons of synthetic pesticides and Roundup. Those 
make you feel really sick. They make you psychotic. They make your moods not feel good. That's the majority of what people eat is, is things that are sprayed really heavily. And so maybe their belly hurts. Maybe their skin breaks out. Maybe they feel anxious. They're telling it to you from a young age when people keep choosing to say, oh, it's not that. That's a problem. So that when you're saying, well, I don't know anything about this and I don't know anything about Roundup and the other synthetic chemicals. And I don't realize that when I prescribe a pill, those pills are covered oftentimes with a plastic capsule. Mm -hmm. And that plastic capsule has phylates in it, which is carcinogenic. And it causes autism and mood disorders and all kinds of problems. So when the physician that, it, that we all trust doesn't know, then that person's job is to also find the answers. The answers are right around us. They're not like some mystery. It's real. This research is done. It's been done by MDs. It's, it's been done for decades. It's well known. It's when you choose not to see it. And when you don't see it and you don't put it to the forefront, then you're taking away people's ability to listen to their instincts because it's, it's really not that complicated. You just don't, you know, there are huge studies that have shown when you have abdominal pain or you have like kids that have like, let's say juvenile, you know, they did a great study um, like decades ago where they took a bunch of kids in a juvenile jail who were the most troublesome. And all they did was they said, what if we just don't give any of these kids dairy? Within days, they all calmed down. Now, what happened was, is that they said, shoot, if we actually get all these people better, then we're going to lose our jobs. So we're going right back to giving them milk. And what happens? That's a big culprit is you just say, just don't have any dairy products. And dairy comes from red meat. If you also say don't have wheat, and which is all genetically modified and sprayed with Roundup, if you don't have the corn and the soy and the sugar, well, all of a sudden people are going to get better. The other aspect people forget is that most all animals are given crops, irrelevant if it's organic or not. So when people's food source is the American staple, or even on the wealthier population, when they say, oh, well, I'm eating really healthy. Healthy means I'm eating tons of poultry that are all fed arsenic. Every one of them in the United States is fed arsenic. So, well, arsenic makes your liver get really big and makes you have big breasts, which is exactly what we want. And then you say, well, my heart and my lungs can't keep up with it. And I feel, feel really bad. Well, this is all going to show up by the time somebody is a teen. And when a doctor doesn't even know the basics of what do people eat, what's at the grocery store and just disconnected, that like... The way that you describe the anguish that your husband feels, that is most doctors. We feel it inside us. But when we say it, we sound like we're crazy. And we don't hear the masses in our own profession saying the same thing. So we, you know, as human beings, we want to belong. So we will say what the rest of the herd says. Even though in our heart of hearts, we're like, something doesn't feel right, but I don't know what to think about it. And we also don't like to say that we're wrong. And that we have to discount all of our training and what everybody else is saying. We have to stand out there and find a compassionate way to connect with our instincts and with the people that we're working with. The answers are there. They're not a mystery. It's just about give yourself a chance to like really step back. That's what those, those kids are asking for. They're just saying, please listen to me. Don't think I'm crazy. Because what's happening in today's world is that if you take the Latino population, for example, one out of four girls commit suicide or try to commit suicide, right? Because there are a lot of issues going on. Um, when you think about gun violence, when you think about all these issues, none of it is just happening. This is real. And it's just about opening our eyes, but our ears and our hearts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love this. You're making me so... I, I re relate to all of this on, on so many levels. Um, I also don't know if you know this, I'm a nutrition scientist is my background. And um, I actually 
was very lucky. My nutrition degree was actually done at an agriculture school. Usually it's done like in conjunction with like a med school or something like that. Um, But I went to the agriculture, like um, actually in Israel, where it was like basically like studying in an oasis. It was amazing. Um, And uh, so like plant science was sort of like the other half of our degree. And we had people that specialized in that. We actually, um, half of my class, this was all men except for one girl. It was like... um, 10 men and one woman um, specialized in animal science too. And, and at the end of the day, yes, I'm, first of all, I'm vegetarian, mostly vegan. Um, but uh, I really liked that they really wanted to study in depth how we can have meat and dairy in the most wholesome, natural ways possible. Although at the same time, I, we had to do, um, uh, what's it called? basically quality let's just say quality control and uh something like that with nutrition and agriculture i can't remember the name of the the class um and you know naturally we're going to ask what about organic and this this is true in america but definitely true in israel unfortunately sorry israel (laughs) this isn't going to sound good and i love israel but uh it doesn't really matter in a small area like that because it's going to be everywhere it's, yes. not, it's too small yes. <laughs> to say that everything like in the soil and in the air, like it, it's not even worth it to, to get organic crops. Um, it's like, especially there. So that, that was sad. <laughs> it's, it's not that different in the U S that's right? what I was wondering. <laughs> no, we have acres and acres of the same thing being grown. Nobody would grow their garden that way. Um, that doesn't make any sense you know, if one area is sprayed heavily, that spray goes for hundreds to thousands of miles. Um, So, and the United States has very little regulations. We've really dumbed down our definition of organic. We've allowed a lot of synthetic chemicals to be considered organic, or if we label them as inert, like, oh, that's fine. I don't have to test anything. Those have really worsened over the last 20 to 30 years. So you have to be careful what, like, what you choose to have organic. Again, some things are just better than others. So again, it's not like it's perfect, but it is best to understand how do things work inside the body. Um, I think the challenge people face in the United States is that we falsely create this illusion that there's a plethora of things because we keep the price so low. So we think, well, we could have plenty of this. But that is at the price of actually destroying the agriculture industry by actually the production costs more than the actual item that consumers pay for. And the bulk of the people who actually collect on it is the industry, not the farmers. It's not because farmers are really like wanting to do certain things, but they, we've had massive number of farmers just, they cannot sustain their farms anymore. They've been completely pushed out. Right. People have to get connected to these things and say, you know, if you want to, if you want to know what's happening, you kind of need to like open your eyes and look, um, because without it, we don't realize how much we're destroying both what we're experiencing, but that we're kind of destroying the world that we're in and that we are just as much responsible for what happens in the U S and, and the impact that we have for you know, millions of people all over the world, right? People do need a sense of something beyond themselves, but it starts with just basic, like listening to your instincts and feeling safe to say something and that the receiver welcomes and is a good guide. So I think something that's, that's very hard for a lot of people when it comes to nutrition, you could even say this like, with politics and environmental, um, I'll just say like just helping the environment is it seems so big. Like people want to help uh, for the the greater good, and but things look really big and complicated. So mm-hmm. like nutrition in this instance, right? We're talking about all the things that are are dangerous, um, like how toxins affect, affect our body and and how just poor nutrition in general affects our body. So I want to try and flip it over. And yeah. talk about um, from a from a broader standpoint, and also an example of yourself, your family. Like, so what are things to do? 
um, and ways to like dive into this journey of um, being proactive with your own health as well as around you. One is believing that, that you make a difference, that each day what you do has a dramatic impact in the world. Little simple things that I would say is just focus on the first 40 to 90 minutes when you wake up each day, that will define the rest of your day and that will define the rest of your weeks and your, your months. When you wake up in the morning, you need to know that you're actually awake. What you need is you, you need to fuel your cells. A cell is 90% water and oxygen none of which we actually can produce as a human being. Mm, so if you focus on the fact that just breathe and know that you're alive and breathing is not about inhaling, it's about exhale. You gotta get the use air out if you want anything to come in. That is a part of being connected with yourself. Number two is water. The United States actually has decent regulations in water. Um, yeah. Drink water. First thing in the morning, drink like four cups of water. Always next to me, yeah. big water bottle. Refill it through the day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is where I would start. And I would say eat at home instead of walking out your door and then saying, oh, I'm hungry. And now I'm at the mercy of whatever's in front of me. Value putting your food together instead of just opening up packages and saying, oh, well, eating is not that important. I would rather like look at my phone. I'd rather do all these other things. You're giving the wrong messages to yourself to say, oh, I don't care about breathing or I don't care about eating. I don't care about what I'm eating, where it comes from. It's just value that moment, right? That's it. When you start to value, how did I put this together? Where did it come from? you're gonna know what feels right. And in terms of what you put together, think about a garden. If you've never owned a garden or if you've never, um, it's a, you've seen a garden. 99% of people have actually probably seen a park and they've seen things maybe grown in a park. And all I would say is focus on if we, are mostly made up of water and oxygen and we can't produce any of that, then who does? And those are plants. The plants who do that are the plants that grow above the ground. They're the ones who take the sun and they create energy and have water and oxygen and then we need that to live. So we have to respect that. And to do that, we focus on what grows above the ground because that doesn't take that many resources from the earth, but grows beautiful food. That's where you focus your energy on, is the garden, because we are a garden in and of ourselves. We're a living being made up of trillions of cells. We're an, we're an energy force. And that's where I think I'd start, is if you can imagine what grows above ground, have a plethora of that. If it grows far from the ground, like on a tree, Remember, those are flowers. So we don't eat all of the flowers because that would like, that's just, that would be cruel. We <laughs> respect it. And we have to be economical. So if you had a garden, you would only grow certain things because otherwise your water bill would go off the charts. So connect with that, which means that if something requires hundreds to thousands of gallons of water to be produced. Imagine how dehydrating it is inside your body. Imagine that in a world where we have a lot of industrial exposures of toxins, you are getting exposed to a ton of toxins and they're not gonna let go of that food very, very easily. So it's really about those items tend to be the items that are basically mostly in people's plates right now. They're the items that actually economically are decimating lands to no longer have any water sources. They're causing massive amount of poverty. So I don't need people to say, wow, I can't make a change because I feel like, what's the point? If you just 
focus on when you wake up in the morning and you breathe, which means exhaling, you drink water, and you choose to pick what grows above the ground first. That's it. Understand economics, understand why things are what they are. You don't have to do it for health reasons. Just do it to feel like just your, your best self for that moment. That's where you start. And what that naturally does is it focuses on what I can do. It doesn't focus on, well, don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, or all these things are gonna happen. That's where people feel frozen because that is very culturally driven. So when if I tell people, you know, think about like maybe don't eat like, you know, cereal and milk every morning, right? They're like, well, what am I gonna do? <laughs> but if I focus on, you have these tools, like you, you, that feels right to you and that feels safe and you get it, start there, right? Don't just take a shortcut and say, you know, putting it together, that's not important or take a shortcut, eating it is not important. Really, you're obsessing about food in one instance, but you're disregarding it in the other. So mm -hmm. kids get that because now in schools, they're starting to do like outdoor gardening education, you know, they're trying to get kids out in like parks, you know, at least in certain areas, they're trying to connect people, right? Kids get that. And they're the best teachers where they say, yeah, this feels good. But when they go home or when they look at what's lunch they're given by the school system, they're like, I guess I'm supposed to eat this because I trust these people. But none of it is what grows from a garden, right? It tends to be a packaged item where it's all covered in plastics. And as much as people learn about plastics and how much they're destroying the oceans, we see so much of it, we don't even see it anymore. That's so we true. don't see that our water is in a plastic container, or we think that buying bottled water is cleaner than tap water. And plastic water bottle is like, all they do is take the water out of the lakes and the river, and they fill it in a bottle, and they put a really expensive label on it, so you have the illusion that this is cleaner, but that's marketing. And it is about just go back to the basics. And that's all I would tell people do is say, just start with, get, start, move away from the labels. Like, well, this is breakfast food and this is dinner food. That's all just marketing. So what I'm saying is marketing too. I'm just connecting with your instinct because marketing is education. When I connect with your instincts to say, yeah, it actually feels good to just drink that like water right out of the tap, not the coffee, right? Because you wouldn't give a newborn baby coffee. So why would you give yourself coffee as your breakfast and then the piece of toast and the pastry and the bagel and thinking that that's what you should do, right? So again, it's really keep it basics. Connect to people with what works for them. They get this, right? I don't focus on like, well, here's all the 20 different nutrition facts. I can tell you all of them, but it is about what they're going to remember in their heart that they can leave with. And that when, when somebody questions them, they say, well, I still think this, this one makes sense. And so the rest of the day, what they do is on them. But if I get the first hour, an hour and a half, right? And I said, if that felt really good, where you had, let's say, greens, and you had maybe like beans, or you had like an ancient grain that we didn't destroy already, because everybody else thinks it's really popular, so we want to grow like acres and acres of it, just start there. And by doing it, you say, if that felt really good, you might do it again and again and again. So it takes out some of the other stuff. And mm -hmm. even people who have you know, are coming from low socioeconomic, you know, when majority of the United States, most people don't make that much, right? They can still hopefully turn on their tap. And because the challenge is most of these people are buying water because they come from a place where you literally couldn't turn on the tap and drink the water. So they're starting their day not having any water. They're having orange juice and they're having coffee and they're having all processed food but you can still turn on your tap and drink the water. Even if it's in Flint, Michigan, most of that poisoning is not just the tap water, it's the food sources because all of those toxic wastes are going into the waterways 
and that is going all into the industry. So it's what you eat, but I'm not going to focus on too much of that because it's the hows, it's the experience. People remember that because they that's their real intelligence is their heart and gut intelligence. That's what I would tell people is just, just when they wake up, make sure they know they're alive and value that first 40 minutes. It will change their life. I know I, I definitely uh, see a difference when that's the case for me, like drinking, eating well, um, relaxing. Like I meditate most mornings for 10 minutes, although I'll be totally honest, I don't think it's meditating. Um, it, I'm pretty sure it's sitting in that armchair, breathing with my eyes closed. And you know what? That makes a big difference. I can't yeah. stress that enough to everyone listening who's been told they should meditate and you're like, I don't know how to meditate or, you know, I can't just sit and breathe and stay still because I, I like i found that i almost feel like i'm sinking into the chair and that weight and like feeling my whole body is so incredibly relaxing and gets me in touch with both myself and my surroundings um yes. yeah it's really waking up in like a different way although there are days when i'm so tired that i would fall asleep in two minutes and then i'm like okay maybe i shouldn't do this right now <laughs> but it's different um, oh, where is I going to go with this? It's like, when you, when you talk, there are so many things that come up for me. It's very hard. <laughs> um, but Ooh, where did I want to go? Um, okay. So something I wanted to acknowledge is, you know, I know a lot of, um, our listeners and I know some of them, you know, are in particularly hard situations and some of them, some of them are bedridden. Uh, some of them, you know, a lot of us have, um, like depression and anxiety and feeling optimistic, like taking control seems so much harder than it does for them than other people. And I just wanted to say that it, it really is possible, even when it doesn't seem like it. It seems like to some people, it's like, oh, I, getting up and putting something fresh in my mouth is hard for reasons one, two, and three. Like there's so many ways we could give excuses, right? Like life is just full of excuses, but it is all possible. Everything that you're talking about is possible. And it's just finding out how to navigate your life properly in order to do that. And, and like you said, believe and connect that it is possible and that you have an impact. Even if you are someone who really can't leave bed a lot of the time, like that it is still absolutely uh, within the realm of possibility and um, to be able to take care of yourself in that way or have someone else who's helping you make sure that that happens. And actually, um, you know, whether it be having a doctor um, like yourself who helps um, them navigate that life and make sure it, like they have a plan to move forward. Uh, we also, I think my last episode um, had uh, Tammy Stacklehouse. She is a fibromyalgia coach and she teaches fibromyalgia coaches. It's very, you know, very particular, but her whole role, what I loved about this was she's not a physician, but she says, okay, you have fibromyalgia. This is like your clinical reality. And these are the things you struggle with. Now, how do we um, take your life, your personal life and make it easier so that you can do all these things, regardless of how much pain you're in. And I love that. So I feel like actually you two are a really great pair <laughs> in that way. Um, Cause it's, it's kind of like having a life coach or a business coach. It's like, okay, this is your situation. Now, how are we going to make it work based on the knowledge, um, the actions that we know you need to take, like you're saying. Um, so yeah, I just, I just kind of wanted to put that out there because I know that I, I really know that a lot of, of people with these chronic illnesses can seem really hopeless at times. Um, but it is not without, um, like solution and, um, and possibility. I just kind of want to, I wanted to say that because, <laughs> <laughs> and I love that you very much live in that mentality. It's so important and, um, and really inspiring as a doctor, because even if doctors feel that way, I feel like they don't talk that way. <laughs> a lot of the time you don't talk that way no no uh, it has to be 
you know, you take the doctor piece out. It's that we're all, we're all people. Yes. We're all in this journey together. And even if I have not met billions of people, we're all very interconnected. And that as you can imagine, if you closed your eyes and you have three people that you say, I love them more than I love anybody else in the world. Whatever that feeling that that provokes, then imagine three acquaintances and give that level of love to those three acquaintances. Then imagine all the people you've never met, those three people in the world. You've seen a picture maybe in a magazine or on a TV screen, or you haven't. If you give that same level of compassion, that's where the transformation is going to happen. So this hopelessness, it stems from when you do not value that your life, your true essence, that is everything, just being right here. You're caught up in this prior experiences of the what happened. Those are just your own perception of your own reality of, oh, I had this. I, it's just a perception. Well, it's like a story. It changes based on the angle we look at it. So if you look at the past, as, oh, I wanted this and I wanted that, you forgot right now. When you value the essence of right now, that's what defines the next second. The hope is first, turn that hopelessness into, oh, so I have less hope because I don't really value me and my existence. And I have some illusion of this grandeur of, oh, when I have all these things, I will have all of this happiness. But in reality, you know, I always say those people, including ourselves, when we actually don't feel so good, that is, if you can take that as a turning point, is the best thing that ever happens to a person because they have to stop and they have to connect with themselves. And that is truly when you become enlightened to actually be like, oh, to spend my life comparing to 20 different people and getting validation that when those 10 people are worse than me, oh, now I'm better, or when those 10 people are so much better than me, like, that's dumb, right? It's like no other animal in the world sits there and compares themselves to say, well, I'm better enough. Who cares? Life is too <laughs> short. So you just, you stop wasting your time because that's when you start living is when you say, I'm right here. So I'm in the bed. Why am I so like pitying myself? Like I can do some really cool stuff if I just stop wasting my two to three percent of my brain focused on some past perception of my prior life, then thinking that's going to define my tomorrow. It doesn't. We all know that like, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. I don't know what you're going to ask me. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what's going to happen like at 6 p.m. today. So why am I going to get all worked up about something? I'm just going to be right here. Whatever comes my way, I am right here. Every human being can do this. Mm -hmm. You have to have faith in it. The most accomplished people in the world, they weren't always given validation during their life. They were considered insane. They were considered handicapped disadvantaged what made them different was it because that they said well you guys can label me all you want and sure I don't have those resources that you think make everything define as happiness they looked at things a little differently and they said this is the cards I've been dealt with so I can either like fight them or I can embrace them but if I've been given this life to live and two people came together to create me then why waste every second? Because I don't know what's gonna happen the next second. So it has changed the word hopelessness into I have less hope, but I can always have more, but that comes from within. Yeah, 
you're touching a, uh, you know, a real point for me. Because uh, once I, I'm going to get real, real personal here. Not like this isn't a personal podcast, geez, um, <laughs> for most people. Um, I, I don't have clinical depression and, and, I'm, and I'm happy about that. But um, I did experience hopelessness once. Um, you're human. Yeah, I'm human. <laughs> like all of us. But I, I mean, it was surprising for me because uh, despite chronic pain and other issues, like I am generally a very positive person and, and uh, don't have any issues in, in that way. So when I've grown up having all these friends with depression and anxiety, and I, and I do have a lot of them, I, I didn't really get it at first. I tried to, and now obviously I do. Um, luckily, that's also coming to the forefront of science and and social awareness is like these are these are illnesses just as much as a physical illness is. But anyway, um, I also knew in terms of like uh, psychology, like sort of the steps towards feeling suicidal, um, and I knew that hopelessness was kind of that gateway. Um, so this was like in 2013. I hit a, po a point where I recognized that I felt hopeless and scared the bejesus out of me because <laughs> I knew what that meant and I did not know how to get out. I guess that's what hopelessness means is like if you tell your if you think you're hopeless, it means you don't know how to get out. But I basked in it for like a little bit because I think I needed to. I like curled up into a ball and cried, um, and then. I, and I am, I think this is my proudest moment. I got out of that ball and, um, and I recognized that something is not right and I can do something about this. I do not have to be this way. That is, this is not how I've lived my life. I've always been very positive and like a can do, figure it out kind of girl. So it's like, this isn't who I am. Um, the first action I took and I'm, and I'm very happy about this, is I actually walked upstairs um, to my mom and I said, I need to see a therapist. And I liked that because first of all, I like talk therapy. That's always been my thing. Um, uh, oh, actually, no, sorry. I said, I need to see a psychiatrist. I, I knew I wanted to be evaluated in case. And I respected that about myself because I don't know if a lot of people do that, especially not so immediately. I was like, just hit rock bottom five minutes later. Okay, let's go do something about this. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm so proud of that. And my life is, is like, has done 180 since that moment. Really? Like, uh, that's impressive uh, that you could yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ask for that. that. I won't lie. But I guess my point for saying that is that it's totally possible. It doesn't matter how long you've been hopeless or maybe if you're, you weren't generally a positive person. Like if I was able to do that, it means that anyone is able to, to shift their mindset. It might yeah. seem harder or less natural for people, but hopelessness is hopelessness. Like yes. I did not know how to get out of the situation I was in. Um, and what did I do next? Like my first personal um, challenge was that I realized I did not know or like myself which I found astonishing because I've written a diary since I was 11 and like a very personal diary. And, um, and I like generally like myself. I, I, I do think there's a lot of wonderful things about me and I've got good friends. So I was like, how is it possible that at my core, I don't actually believe that. And then I decided to get to know myself and really dig deeper and, yeah, like, sorry, long story short, that, I mean, that changed my entire world. And I'm always growing, like, it's never going to stop. But then it all, I also got more in touch with myself physically. And, and like, in terms of my health, I went to get a nutrition master's within that year. It's not a coincidence. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, I, it's, it is absolutely possible, regardless of where you are. So that's, those are my two cents right there. <laughs> um, and I guess on that, uh, we, we do actually have to, to finish actually over an hour. Oh no, I hope you guys are still with us. Uh, <laughs> but if you, um, I know you already touched on this, but I guess I'd like to leave with that one last message that you'd like to instill in everybody to 
but you told me, and I'd love to hear you say it out loud. <laughs> it would be to, to believe. It would be that you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be the person who has to figure it all out and to fix it. You just need to have faith and believe. And by doing that, people, we as human beings, we will always go to help. That is an inherent property of, of people is that our true self, you just gotta know that it's there. You don't need to know who it is, but you put the intention out there. You put your vulnerability out there and don't stop believing. Don't give up faith. Don't give up hope. When you do know you're human, you are just like every single one of us. Many of us who we didn't say it out loud to say, yeah, you know, I've personally been probably suicidal at least two or three times in my life. And if it was up to me, I didn't have a reason to do it for myself, to, to keep going for myself. But what drives me and what drives that hope is that we're here for a reason. We don't always know the reason, but just have faith and believe that that's, it will come. It will come. Man, you are really quotable. <laughs> I like to think of quotes that I'll kind of take out of episodes at the end. And I'm like, oh my God, there's so many. There's so many. <laughs> You're wonderful. Do you do public speaking? Because you should. <laughs> I do. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, I guess that's it for today. But of course, uh, if there's anything you want to... Um, like leave in our show notes, like any links to things or, or tell people in more detail about um, your practice or offerings you have, what, um, what the, whatever they may be. Uh, everyone, we will, we will have those available to you. Uh, feel free to reach out to her as well. She's obviously amazing and lovely <laughs> uh, and talented <laughs> and all sorts of things. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's it for today. And thank you so much for making the time to come on the show. You're welcome. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Invisible Not Broken podcast. I'm Eva, your new co-host and co-founder of Wellacopia, the matching platform for chronic illness patients and practitioners. I'm talking those who listen, those who understand, those who care to dig deeper and actually know about the conditions that you have or maybe the ones that you're wondering if you have. So if you're looking for a practitioner, whether they be medical or wellness, please check out wellacopia.com today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, be kind, be gentle, be badass.